We're so glad that you have joined us for today's service. I also want to express appreciation to all of our musicians today and throughout December for your wonderful music ministry. Thank you. Thank you so very much. And uh, speaking of music, if, uh, if you didn't see our New Year's Eve service, if you didn't have a chance to watch it and, uh, and uh, have access to the opportunity of watching it, I want, want to encourage you today or tomorrow to tune in and get blessed by the music, the music from Jan Ong and uh, our wonderful accompanist on that occasion. And you'll just really appreciate the music ministry that was experienced on New Year's Eve. Amen? All right. By the way, by the way, here's a little joke for you. What is a New Year's resolution? What is a New Year's resolution? Well, it's something that goes in one year and out the other. <laughs> well, my wife laughed, so it's hard to get her to laugh at my jokes, so I guess it must be okay. That's a good one. All right. The title of today's message is Jephthah, Jephthah Part 2, and that's spelled J-E-P-H-T-H-A-H, all right? We have in our Holy Bible a book or a, a section which is called Judges, yes, near the beginning of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, okay? Judges is basically a history of 12 people, 11 men and one woman. Let's hear it for the woman. All right. All right. It's really the history of 12 leaders who led Israel during a very difficult time in their lives. The time period is after Moses and after Joshua when the people of God had already arrived in the promised land of Canaan, what we usually refer to these days as Israel. In many ways, Judges is a book about 12 heroes who delivered Israel from oppressors. They were not perfect people in any way. They were not perfect people, but God still used them. God uses imperfect people. Do you know that? Some of the more familiar judges that maybe you have heard of or read about would be people like Deborah, the only female judge, and Gideon and Samson. And the book of Judges spans a period of about 325 years from around 1375 to about 1100 B.C. approximately. Jewish tradition says that the prophet Samuel was the one who wrote Judges under the inspiration and direction of the Holy Spirit. Now how long each judge ruled Israel really varied. For instance, Ehud, that's E-H-U-D, Ehud was one of the judges, ruled 80 years. Then uh, people like Deborah and Gideon each ruled 40 years. Samson ruled 20 years 
and Jephthah ruled six years, around 1100 years B.C. In my New Year's Eve message, I shared with you part one of our study of Jephthah, recorded in Judges chapter 11. Now today we're going to get into part two. Now here, here's a brief summary of three important truths that we discovered from Jephthah in the previous message, which can really help you and me uh, and, and just, just really assist us in our daily lives. Uh, by, by the way, I wouldn't be surprised if Jephthah's father sometimes called him uh, Jephi, maybe, J-E-P-H-Y, or, or maybe just called him Jep, okay, Jep, just like my granddaughter's name is Everly, but oftentimes her mom and dad call her Ev. Well, in part one, we discovered this, this first truth, and it is, God can make something good and great out of your life, no matter what background you have. Uh, Jephthah went from a loser, what people considered, his half-brothers considered, to be a loser to a, a leader. His mother had been a prostitute, and so his half-brothers looked upon him as a big loser, unfortunately. But nevertheless, he, he went from a loser to a winner to a leader. The second truth that we uh, focused on in the previous message is this. Choices you and I make in our lives can be a big help or a big hurt to our family and to others. Jephthah's father unfortunately got involved with a prostitute. And Jephthah ended up experiencing a lot of hurt because his mom was a prostitute. Then the third truth that we focused on last time was this. Be accepting of someone in your family, at school, at work, at church, or in your neighborhood, even though they are perhaps different. Jephthah's half-brothers re refused to accept him as an equal in their family. In fact, uh, when they became teenagers or adults, Judges 11.2 says the half-brothers chased him, chased him off the land. What a tough time they gave Jephthah. Amen? Let's now move into part two of Jephthah. And let's read the first three verses of Jephthah. Um, Jephthah of Judges chapter 11. All right? It says, Now Jephthah of Gilead was a great warrior. He was the son of Gilead, but his mother was a prostitute. Gilead's wife also had several sons. And when these half-brothers grew up, they chased Jephthah off the land. You will not get any of our father's inheritance, they said. For you are the son of a prostitute. So Jephthah fled from his brothers and lived in the land of Tob. Soon he had a band of worthless rebels following him. But by the way, when you read the word here, worthless, the, the Hebrew word actually, actually means to get across the idea that he ended up gathering a group of people 
who did not have very much in terms of money, in terms of land, in terms of property, just like Jephthah was thrown out of his house and thrown off his father's property, okay? All right, so what do we learn from the Bible verses we just, we just read? What do we discover? All right, here's the first truth I want you to focus on with me. It is this. When you are a part of a family, you will often need to overlook each other's faults and will often need to forgive. Now please stick with me and you'll see where this truth comes from. Look at verse 2, which says, Gilead's wife also had several sons, and when these half-brothers grew up, they chased Jephthah off the land. You will not get any of our father's inheritance, they said, for you are the son of a prostitute. Now obviously we are told that Jephthah's brothers chased him off the land when he and his half-brothers became probably teens or young adults. We're not given the ages, obviously. But I want you to think about this. Think about it. This tension and problem between Jephthah and the others didn't just start when they grew up, when they got to be teenagers or young adults. I am confident that, that even when Jephthah was, was a toddler, then a child, a young teen, and an older teen, his, his half-brothers were probably, probably making fun of him with comments like, uh, Hey, Jephthah, you're not one of us. You're the son of a prostitute. You don't belong here with us. Uh, you're, you're, you're only here because Dad says you've got nowhere else to live and nobody else wants you. I feel sorry for Jephthah because from childhood days, no doubt, he had to put up with comments like that and worse. The half-brothers probably said to the other children and youth in their neighborhood, they probably said things like, hey, you don't want to play with Jephthah. No, no, he's no good. Can anything good come from a prostitute? He's a prostitute's kid. You know that? Children can sometimes be miserable to one another, can't they? Right? Most likely there were many nights when young Jep cried himself to sleep. Yeah, I'm sure many times he cried himself to sleep saying, you know, I can't help it, I can't help it if my mother was a prostitute. It's, it's not my fault. It's not my fault. Why won't my half-brothers leave me alone? Why, why won't they just accept me for who I am? As many of you know, I was born in Greece and we were new immigrants to Canada when I was just five years old. And I remember when I was growing up here in Toronto, especially between grades one and six, south of Pape and Danforth, I remember especially kids often making fun of me and calling me names, and they would say things like, you, you lousy wop, you lousy wop, you little, little wop. Go back to Greece. Go back to where you came from. Go back to that greasy place. And I remember as a kid, I remember as a kid thinking, how it wasn't my fault. It wasn't my fault I was born in another country. It wasn't my fault I was in Canada. I just kind of went where they took me. 
right? There was nothing I could do about it. And so I understand the, the frustration and the emotional pain that Jephthah must have grown up with. I hope you can understand his pain. Do you? Jephthah must have often chosen. Think about this. Jephthah must have often chosen to overlook, to overlook his half-brother's fault. The fault of them mistreating him on a regular basis. Not only did he overlook their faults, I'm sure that young Jep chose to forgive them again and again and again. Why, why do I think that Jep often forgave them? Because the Bible says in, Josh, in Judges 11 verse 1, it says, Jephthah was a great warrior. He, he, he didn't just suddenly, he didn't just suddenly become a, a great warrior when he turned 21, right? It didn't just happen overnight. Most likely he developed, he developed his physical strength and his fighting skills and his tactical skills as a child and as a teenager. And the probability is that he, he was strong enough to beat up any of his half-brothers for mistreating him. The, the Bible doesn't tell us, but I believe Jephthah must have practiced a lot of self-control so as not to get into serious fights with his half-brothers, so as not to beat them up. Does that make sense to you? It makes sense to me. Now here's the point. Here's the point. Jephthah regularly needed to overlook, overlook his half-brother's faults. And he needed to forgive them often. My friends, as we look ahead into 2021, the truth is, no matter which family you are in, you are going to have to overlook each other's faults. And you will need to forgive one another many times. Are you listening? This year, or this past year, my wife Cindy and I were married 40 years. That's four zero years. Thank you, thank you. And in order to make it that far, in order to make it that far, I have had to overlook my wife's faults hundreds. I've had to overlook her faults hundreds of times. No kidding. And, and, and she has had to overlook my faults thousands of times. I was expecting an amen from my wife there. You know, I've had to overlook her faults hundreds of times and, I'm sorry, she's had to overlook my faults hundreds of times and I've had to overlook her faults thousands of times. <laughs> Whatever I said. <laughs> yeah, well, see, if my wife had given me an amen at the right time, 
I wouldn't have messed it up, right? <clears throat> All right, okay. <laughs> I better get a drink of water, eh? I better get a drink of water here. <laughs> Well, Colossians 3.13 says, make, read it with me, would you? Would you read it with me? You you should see it on the screen wherever you're watching. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Right? Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. And then we've got Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2, which says, Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Wow. Wow. Here's a second truth which can help you in your life. Help me as well. Number two, remember that silence is not always golden. That's right. Stick with me. The phrase silence is golden goes back many centuries and means it is often better to remain silent than to speak. It is true that there are times when it is better to remain silent than to speak. It's true, right? For example, if your husband, wife, child, brother, sister, or friend sometimes says something which upsets you, it may be best to keep silent because if you say something, it might just escalate the argument into a bigger problem. Isn't that true? Right, Pastor Lisa? For instance, for instance, my wife and I have a six-year-old grandson and a three-year-old granddaughter. Oftentimes, when they are visiting our home, they, those two little ones, act like to act as if they are little dogs. They like to play dogs. They act, they act like puppies. And my, my wife encourages them and plays along with them. Now, I don't think I have ever told my wife this, but I, I hate it. I hate it when my two little grandchildren act like doggies and my wife plays along with them. I have been silent, silent, about this, all right? I've been silent about me not really wanting the grandkids to act like dogs because if I were to to stop them from acting like dogs, my wife would say, what's your problem? Right? Cindy would say, well, what's your problem? They're just having fun. There's nothing wrong with them pretending to be dogs. And the truth is, There is nothing wrong with with what my grandkids are doing. And so I I remain silent, even though I don't like it. 
Now, some of you are thinking, well, what's wrong with little kids playing or acting like they're dogs? Well, well, you know, I just, what can I say, Anthony? I just don't like seeing kids acting like dogs. I don't like seeing dogs acting like people. And I don't like seeing grown-ups acting like babies. You know what I mean? Be who you is. That's incorrect grammar. Be who you are. Okay? All right. So I keep quiet so as not to get into a disagreement with my wife over the issue of the grandchildren acting like doggies. Now, there are other family situations, however, in which I will not remain silent. No. I won't remain silent about some things. For example, when I'm cooking in the kitchen or if my wife is cooking and any of the four grandchildren are visiting, I absolutely do not want any of the grandchildren in the kitchen. No way. I don't want them around in the kitchen. My wife, my daughter, and my daughter-in-law do not agree with me, but I am very vocal about the grandchildren staying out of the kitchen. Why? Why? Am I just unreasonable? Say no, Anthony. Anthony? <laughs> no, I'm not un unreasonable, okay? I don't want the grandkids in the kitchen because when I have three boiling pots of water, you know, one, uh, one with the potatoes for mashed potatoes and one with green beans and another pot with, with uh, carrots, okay, and I've got the hot oven going cooking some meat, there are too many, there are too many ways by which the grandchildren can get burned. Too many ways. I have seen, I have seen too many burn victims in the Sunnybrook burn unit whose injuries could have easily been prevented. And I, I also remember too well, very well, how when our youngest brother Stavros was just uh, four or five years old, he, uh, he got badly burned by boiling water. Right? So I have that memory of my little brother getting burned. Therefore, when I'm cooking uh, and any of our grandchildren walk into the kitchen area, silence is not golden. I immediately say, Cindy, Amy, Kirby, anyone, please take the children out of the kitchen right, of the, right away. Two of the grandkids are, by the way, just over one years old, and the others are three years old and, and six years old. Now, my family would probably tell you that I am too strict about the kitchen being out of bounds to the kids. However, I would much rather see them safe than at the Sunnybrook Hospital or at the Sick Kids Hospital with serious burns. Amen? Amen. Okay. What does remember that silence is not golden have to do with the story of Jephthah? Here is the answer. Here's the answer. 
Read again Judges 11, verses 2 and, and, and 3. All right. Here it is. Gilead's wife also had several sons, and when these half-brothers grew up, they chased Jephthah off the land. You will not get any of our father's inheritance, they said, for you are the son of a prostitute. So Jephthah fled from his brothers and lived in the land of Tob. Soon he had a band of worthless rebels following him. Now think about it. I want you to think, think. Who is being silent here? Who is being silent? The half-brothers chased Jephthah out of the house and off the land. They said to Jephthah, You will not get any of our father's inheritance, for you are the son of a prostitute. Who is acting as if silence is golden? Do you want to tell me? That's right. There's a good thinker right there. She said the father. Now the Bible doesn't tell us if Jephthah's father was actually away on business or if his father and mother were actually still alive at this point in time. We're not told. But if they were still living and they were present, it is very sad, isn't it? It's very sad that they didn't say to their sons, they, they didn't say, boys, that's no way to treat Jephthah. He's your brother. Don't treat him like that. He grew up with you. I love him as much as I love you. He deserves a part of the inheritance, whatever that will ever be. If perhaps, perhaps Jephthah's father and mother were deceased, at least, at least some of the other relatives should have said to Gilead's sons, boys, 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 how are you treating Jephthah? The way in which you're treating him is wrong. And so that's why I say to us, there are times when Silence is not golden. My friends, as you live your life in 2021, please remember that silence is not always golden. In your family, listen now, in your family, if someone is abusing, if someone is abusing another family member physically, emotionally, sexually, or financially. Don't turn a blind eye to it. Don't turn a blind eye to it. Sometimes people tell me of things that happened when they were children or, or youth or even as adults, and I think, oh, how did anyone turn a blind eye to this? You need to take action. So that means... Or it might mean sometimes kicking out a person who is abusing someone else in the, in the house. It might mean calling the police and laying charges in, the, in extreme cases. It might mean doing what you have to do to stop someone 
from, from mistreating other people. Is there an amen? Sometimes, whether it is in, in a specific family or in our society, when someone takes seriously the truth of silence is not always golden, it can be costly. You perhaps have heard in the news recently of a young lady from Saudi Arabia who studied at the University of British Columbia. After she completed her studies at UBC, she returned to her homeland, her home country of Saudi Arabia, eager, eager to, to try to promote the rights of women in her country. Have you folks heard of that case? All right. She became one of Saudi Arabia's most prominent women's rights activists. And sadly, on December 28, 2020, 31-year-old Al Hathlul was sentenced. She was sentenced to nearly six years in prison under a vague and broadly worded counter-terrorism law. She was found guilty by Saudi Arabia's anti-terrorism court on charges of agitating for change, pursuing a foreign agenda, and using the internet to harm public order. Jake Sullivan, who is the national security advisor to newly elected United States President Joe Biden, called the sentencing of Al Hathlul unjust, unjust and troubling. A number of other women's rights activists in Saudi Arabia also remained imprisoned or continue to face trials on charges related to improving women's rights, such as pushing, pushing for the right to drive a car. I don't know if you know this, but Saudi Arabia finally, finally granted women the right to drive a car about two and a half years ago. And that... That was an historic uh, move that cracked open a window to new freedoms for women who have long lived under the repressive laws in Saudi Arabia. My friends, what the young lady Al Hathlul in Saudi Arabia and others like her have discovered is that when, when someone takes seriously the truth of silence is not always golden, it can be costly. In 2021, I'm not suggesting that you or I should deliberately be troublemakers, okay? Don't anyone go away saying, oh, Pastor Nick told us to be troublemakers. No, no, of course not. I am suggesting that if and when you see that a person or group of people, groups of people are being mis mistreated. Speak up and do your best to bring about, to bring about justice in a loving and peaceful way. Amen? And this applies in the workplace, at school, at home, at church, and in our government. What are we talking about? What, 
What we are talking about is standing up for what is right. Proverbs 31, verses 8 and 9. Those verses say, Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Ensure justice for those being crushed. Yes, speak up for the poor and helpless and see that they get justice. James 4.17 says, so, whatever, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. My friends, remember, silence is not always golden. Silence is not always golden. There's a third truth that touched my heart, and it is this. Number three. Why don't you read it with me? Stay open to people who reach out to you, even if they have done you wrong in the past. This truth came to my mind from reading verses 4 through 11. Let's read. Let's read starting at verse 4 of Judges 11. It says this. About this time, the Ammonites began their war against Israel. When the Ammonites attacked, the elders of Gilead sent for Jephthah in the land of Tob. The elders said, come and be our commander. Help us fight the Ammonites. But Jephthah said to them, aren't you the ones who hated me and drove me from my father's house? Why do you come to me now when you're in trouble? Because we need you, the elders replied. If you lead us in battle against the Ammonites, we will make you ruler over all the people of Gilead. Jephthah said to the elders, let me get this straight. If I come with you, and if the Lord gives me victory over the Ammonites, will you really make me ruler over all the people? The Lord is our witness, the elders replied. We promise to do whatever you say. Verse 11. So Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead, and the people made him their ruler and commander of the army. At Mizpah, in the presence of the Lord, Jephthah repeated what he had said to the elders. Well, you can see what happened. <clears throat> the Ammonites began their war against Israelites, the Israel people. The Ammonites lived just east of the Jordan River across from Jerusalem. As the Ammonites started their aggression, the leaders of Israel said, we don't have anyone to lead us in the war against the Ammonites. Somehow, Jephthah's half-brothers remembered. Now, when I work out the timeline here, no one knows for sure, but I'm estimating that it is probably about 15 to 20 years 
after his half-brothers kicked him out of the house and kicked him off the land. No one knows for sure, but I'm estimating it's about 15 to 20 years later. So, somehow Jephthah's half-brothers remembered his great skills as a warrior, as a soldier, as a tactician. And either they or they had some other representatives send Jephthah a, an email. They sent him an email or a text message or a message on Facebook saying, come and be our commander. Help us find, find and uh, fight the Ammonites. Now, I'm only kidding, of course, when I said email, text message, or Facebook. They didn't have those things back in 1100 B.C., Jephthah probably got the message by Pony Express or maybe Camel Express. All right? But think about it. Think about it. Some years earlier, Jephthah's half-brothers kicked them out of their father's house. And now they are begging him to return and assist them in the war as the commander. They, they, had, they had treated him as a loser, and now they want to make him the leader. In verse 7, Jephthah says to them, <laughs> he says to them, Aren't you the ones who hated me and drove me from my father's house? Why do you come to me now when you're in trouble? By the way, listen to this. Sometimes the very person, the very person, people, or institution you kick out of your life, you get rid of in your life, is the very person or the institution you will need to uh, look to to help you down the road. You got that? Sometimes, for instance, teenagers or young adults will, will get upset with their parents and, and they'll say things like, oh, I don't need you in my life. You know, I can make it on my own. I'll just go off on my own. A few months or a few years later, that same son or daughter is begging their parents for a roof over their head or is begging their parents to bail them out of jail. And I've seen it too often as a pastor. Across the years, sometimes there have been people who got real proud and real self-sufficient and real independent and in one way or another, one way or another, they said, uh, you know, we, we don't need God and we don't need the church and we don't need you pastors. No. A few months or a few years later, they will call up crying and saying, Pastor, we are in a crisis. We're in serious trouble. Our family is in a big mess. Our finances are gone. We're, we're in a terrible shape. Can you please help us? Can the church help us? Yeah. 
sometimes. The very person or institution you get rid of in your life is the very person or organization you will need to help you down the road. And that's what happened with Jephthah. Be careful who you get rid of. Jephthah's half-brothers got rid of him just because he was the son of a prostitute. And now they were begging him to lead the nation of Israel in war against the Ammonites, who were a formidable foe. Jephthah said to them, Why do you come to me? Why do you come to me now when you're in trouble? Why do you come to me, he says, and the answer, of course, is given in, in, verse, in verse 8. Because we need you. At least they were honest. Why do you come to me? Because we need you. That's why. At least they knew who they should go to. They were smart enough and recognized his, his abilities as a warrior, as a tactician, as a leader. You know, uh, Jephthah, think about it. Jephthah could have said to them, he could have said, <clears throat> you treated me like dirt growing up. You treated me like a loser. He could have said, you repeatedly told the kids at school and in the neighborhood that I was the lousy son of a prostitute. You put me down all the time. You, you, you would have beat me up except that you knew I was stronger and that I, I could have punched your teeth out. You kicked me out of our father's house and said I would never receive any of dad's inheritance. I was homeless and you didn't care. And now, now you want to, what? You want me to come back and help you? He could have said that to them. But he didn't. There's no record in the Bible of him saying that. Jephthah stayed open to his half-brothers who reached out to him. He stayed open to them even though they had severely mistreated him in the past. They made an agreement. And verse 11 says, the people made him their ruler and commander of the army. Jephthah served as the official ruler and judge of Israel for six years. My friend, there might be family members, former friends, co-workers or fellow worshipers who in your eyes have done you wrong in the past. If they, if they come to their senses and they reach out to you for whatever reasons, be like Jephthah and be open to them. Don't turn them away. Don't turn them away. Better still, why don't you reach out to them?
I don't know if someone who has wronged you in the past will reach out to you, but I do know for certain that the Lord is always reaching out to you and me. We are the ones, we are the ones who have wronged him through our sinfulness. Romans 3.23 says, For everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. That's the New Living Translation. Other translations say, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The good news, however, is Jesus continues to reach out to you and wants to say, Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. If you have not yet opened the door of your heart and your life to Jesus, I want to invite you today on the very first Sunday of January 2021. I want to invite you to close your eyes with me. Or you can keep your eyes open. It doesn't matter. We can pray in many ways. In fact, I'll I'll, I'll look up to the Lord and keep my eyes open as well. I want to ask you to just just sincerely pray this prayer after me. Dear God, thank you for loving me. On this first Sunday of January 2021, I repent of my sins. I realize you've been been reaching out to me just like like Jephthah's half-brothers reached out to him Lord, in a more significant way, you, you've been reaching out to me. And on this beautiful Sunday, I reach back to you. And I repent of my sins. I ask you to forgive me of my sins, Lord. I dedicate my life to you. Come into my life. Come into my heart. I want to live this new year with a relationship with you. I want to be truly a child of God through faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Come into my life. I want to be a born-again Christian knowing and loving Jesus. In his name I pray. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, I want to encourage you to write me, Pastor Nick, at Rosewood Church of the Nazarene. Our website is rosewoodchurch.ca. Rosewoodchurch.ca. You can get the information from our website. Write me a little note, email, whatever, and just tell us of your decision. We want to help you get started in your Christian walk your relationship with the Lord. Amen.